Good morning, friends. Um, this message comes to you today from the friendly confines of Cold Manor. I have a, a rare Sunday off where I'm not preaching uh, somewhere else. Uh, but today I want to talk to you about standing orders. Uh, this is based on 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18, where it reads, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, over a hundred years ago, Professor James Denny of Scotland called these three commands the standing orders of the gospel. They are standing orders because they always apply to every Christian in every situation. Uh, the Greek words in this uh, text make this very clear because these imperatives are all in the present tense. You could translate it, continually rejoice, continually pray, and continually give thanks. That's a pretty great challenge, isn't it? After all, we'd probably have no problem if the text said, rejoice sometimes, pray occasionally, give thanks when you feel like it. You know, it's the modifiers that trip us up, isn't it? Always, continually, in all circumstances. This suggests that the real impact of the gospel will be seen when we don't feel joyful, when we don't want to pray, and when we can't think of a reason to be thankful. That's when we discover if our Christianity is the genuine article or a spiritual counterfeit. These simple commands reveal the true life-changing power of Jesus, the Messiah. When he enters the life, he changes it from the inside out, so we have both the power and the desire to rejoice, to pray, and give thanks, even in the worst moments of life. So let's take a look at each of these three brief standing orders. Here's standing order one. Rejoice always. <clears throat> now, do you know the shortest verse in the New Testament? Many people think it's Jesus wept in John 11:35, but that's only true in English. In the Greek, rejoice always is the shortest verse. When the angel told the shepherds about the birth of Jesus, he called it the good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Whenever the gospel is preached, it is a joyful sound to those that hear it. Could it be that this is one reason the unchurched have so little use for our Christianity? Having lost the sense of joy in the gospel and showing it so little by the way we live, why would anyone want to listen to what we have to say? Perhaps preachers, and I'm talking to myself, would do well to assess our own sermons and ask, where is the note of joy in this sermon, in this message? I mean, if the gospel is truly good news, then we ought to rejoice and be glad. So, the first proof of the gospel's power for most people will be what they see in us. For every argument a preacher may make and for every beautiful song that may lift a spirit, none of it has the impact of a life full of joy all the time. Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you. That's John fifteen eleven. Because it works from the inside out. <clears throat> joy does not depend on whether I have a job or a paycheck or how my friends have treated me. Much less does it depend on my health or the state of a marriage or a friendship or how my children are doing. Even less does it depend on who is in the White House or how my favorite team is doing or how the stock market is doing. Consider what this means when we gather for worship. If we come with our problems first and foremost, as we often do, then we will judge the worship by how lifted we feel at the end. But if the church members focus only on themselves, there will be no joy in the worship services. Now, some Christians think that they have a sacred duty to be gloomy. These are the people that I've often referred to as those baptized in vinegar. 
They kind of go through life acting like smiling and laughter is an abomination. But that's not the religion of the Bible. Nehemiah 8.10 says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. Proverbs 17.2 A cheerful heart is good medicine. See, when we present our faith <clears throat> as dull, dry, boring, and free of emotion, <clears throat> when we give the impression that knowing Jesus means becoming a boring, quote, religious person, who can blame the younger generation for rejecting the gospel? Only in that case, it is not the gospel they've rejected, but a pale imitation of the gospel. And to be quite honest, I've seen enough joyless Christians that I often prefer the company of friendly unbelievers. See, the gospel, Jesus said, is like new wine. If it does not make our faces shine, it is because we have not tasted it. So we should pray for shining faces and a new application of all that God has done for us. Well, here's standing order number two, pray without ceasing. Of the three orders, this one causes the most problems. What does it mean to pray without ceasing? In other words, should every thought and every spoken word be a prayer directed to the Lord? Well, in a sense, of course, the answer is yes. If prayer is viewed broadly, then our life itself ought to be a prayer offered to the Lord. And that certainly is one part of the answer. Years ago, I heard a speaker compare praying without ceasing to a net used to catch fish. When the net functions properly, it lets the water flow through while catching the fish, but if there is a hole in the net, the fish go free. Now, the same is true when we pray. There are to be no holes in our prayer net. This means praying often and in a deliberate fashion. It also means staying in communion with the Lord so that we don't have to suddenly change to begin praying. Our default spiritual condition should be, Oh God. See, it's kind of like having a phone connection open 24 hours a day so you don't have to punch numbers. You just start talking. We stay in a state where we pray all the time, everywhere, about everything. There's nothing we face, no duty too small, that could not be improved by our prayers. We are to pray consciously, deliberately, repeatedly, and persistently as we face each new challenge of the day. If this seems too much, then simply think of what happens when you forget God and leave Him out of the affairs of daily life. The result will probably be frustration, irritation, a lack of peace, confusion, a short temper, weariness, uh, and discouragement. But when we invite God into our daily agenda, then there is peace and a sense of knowing that the Sovereign Lord is guiding us and helping us along the way. Here's standing order number three. Be thankful in every circumstance. The question here revolves around in every circumstance. We know that we should give thanks when things are going well. I mean, it is right and good to praise God from whom all blessings flow. After all, we shouldn't take our blessings for granted or think that we somehow deserve them. But if you only give thanks when you have money in the bank or when your relationships are good or when the deal goes through or when the doctor says you don't have cancer or when your kids are doing well, when the church is growing and your friends are glad to see you, if that's the only time you ever give thanks, what are you going to do when trouble comes? What will you do when your company downsizes and you are out of a job? or when your retirement fund loses 45% of its value, or when your relationships collapse, or when your daughter gets pregnant out of wedlock, or when the cancer returns, or when your friends betray you. In those moments, we must return to God, whose love for us does not change. 
Now, sometimes the clouds of life seem to hide the Father's face, and we think he's abandoned us. But above the dark circumstance, the sun of his love shines forever. Now, I freely admit that often things happen to us and to our loved ones that make no sense. Try as we might, we cannot trace God's hand in every circumstance because God paints on a canvas much larger than our tiny vision. So, how do we give thanks when our hearts are broken? How do we give thanks when we are confused? How do we give thanks when we are angry at what sin has done in the world? Now, I think it's biblical to give thanks in the following manner, even in the worst moments. I'm going to give you a list, long list. We give thanks that God is sovereign, that nothing happens by chance, that God causes all things to work together for good of his children according to his plan, that hard times reveal our weakness, break our pride, and show us our total need for God, that God has triumphed over sin and death through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that God uses the worst that happens to promote our spiritual growth, that God is faithful even when we are faithless, that God's word will be vindicated, that God's promises are true, that evil will not reign forever, that heaven is real, that this, is, that this world is not the real world, that when we are weak, he is strong, that his grace is sufficient for every situation, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, that our salvation rests on God and not on us, that there is no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. That the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from every sin. That God delights to save sinners. That the Lord can soften the hardest heart. That there are no impossible cases with God. That even when we feel alone, we are never alone. That our Father will not test us beyond what we can bear. That the Holy Spirit abides with us always. That the Lord Jesus feels our pain that the Holy Spirit prays for us when we are too weak to pray for ourselves, that the Lord Jesus intercedes for us so that we are finally saved, that God uses everything and wastes nothing, that our doubts cannot cancel God's work in us, that someday we will be conformed to the image of Christ, that God is faithful to finish His work in us, that our hardships equip us to minister to others, that we are invited to come boldly to the throne of grace, that God's plan far exceeds our puny imagination, that weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning, that we are still God's children even when our faith falters, that while we suffer outwardly, we are being renewed inwardly, that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory. And yes, friends, I could probably go on and on. Well, verse 18 in the message translation says, Thank God no matter what happens, this is the way God wants you who belong to Christ Jesus to live. Now, I like that phrase, no matter what happens, because it perfectly describes life in a fallen world. Stuff happens. Bad stuff happens. Really bad stuff happens. I mean, there's no escaping this while we live on a sin-cursed planet. No one gets a free ride through life. I have lived long enough to know that behind every smiling face, there's a story. Even the happiest people know their share of sorrow. And some people seem to receive far more than their share of pain. We will never be able to give thanks always without the Holy Spirit's help. Left to ourselves, the pain of life will drive us to bitterness and ultimately to despair. But when we factor God into the equation, when we rest on the rock of his sovereignty, then do we have the grounds for saying, thank you, Lord, no matter what happens around us. <clears throat> now, I, I don't mean to suggest that this is easy. Only that it is necessary. As hard as it may be to rejoice always, what is your alternative? 
to give in to despair and anger? If you refuse to give thanks in every situation, you're virtually saying that you know better than God how to run the universe. By giving thanks when we don't feel like it, we are proclaiming that God's wisdom is greater than ours. That simple act of giving thanks amid sorrow is a testimony worth more than 10,000 words spoken when things are going well. The final phrase of our text answers a great question. What is the will of God for your life? Well, here it is. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Friends, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. As my final word, remember that these three things will be more clearly seen in the darkness than in the light. When times are tough, if you can still rejoice in God, if you can still pray, if you can still give thanks, then you've got the real thing. And even those who don't know Jesus will know that you know him. Lord Jesus, without your help, we'll never live this way. Forgive us for complaining when we should be rejoicing. Teach us to pray continually. You've given us so much. Give us one thing more, and that's more grateful hearts. May your life flow through us this week so that no matter what happens, we may be always rejoicing, continually praying, and giving thanks in everything. Grant that our lives may be one loud thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us. Amen. Until next time, friends, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion.